Hello, fellow knowledge seekers, and welcome to the Atypical Behavior Analyst, your place in space to hear conversational information about the science of behavior analysis. I am your host, Kelly, and welcome to episode 29. Now, before we jump into the good stuff, let's go over some quick housekeeping. First off, we are ACE approved, so if you're listening for continuing education units, jot down the two key words interspersed during the talk, and then take those over to our website, atypicalba.com, where you can purchase CEUs. Also on our site, you can find additional resources, citations, references for each episode, and more information about our guests. Next, if you'd like to stay up to date with upcoming talks and live events, you can find, follow, and chat with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We release a new episode every two weeks on Monday, and our live events are a great time to hang out, learn, and interact directly with our guests. Also, feedback makes the world go round, so please rate, leave a review, or just come say hi on your favorite platform or any of our social medias. Lastly, stay tuned after the talk for a preview clip from our next episode with Dr. Jeannie Golden. And now, episode 29. It only took us a few extra months, but PBS Matters and ATBA ride again in part five of our cross-pollination podcast. In this discussion, Patty, Joe, Shanna, myself, and a special vocal appearance from the lovely Hetty discuss professional development. We review the importance of understanding the layers and complexity of supervision, listening to your supervisee in order to have a mutually beneficial relationship, and how to improve our own practices and the practices of whom we supervise and mentor. So with that, grab your favorite writing instruments, adjust your volume levels, and settle in to hear episode 29, CPP Rides Again, Part 5, Professional Development Across the Galaxy. All right. Welcome back to the Atypical Behavior Analyst. I am your host, and I am actually here today with other other fun hosts and other fun colleagues and our first actual guests that were brave enough to come on this adventure with us um, just about a year ago. So it's very exciting. Welcome back, Shanna, Joe, and Patty. It's nice to see you guys again. It's lovely to see you too. Hello. Great to see see you. It's been a while. How are you doing? We're all still here, I think. So we're in, you know, year two of a pandemic. So it's nice to see how our little podcast baby has grown in this last year. And I think it's done well. So what have you guys been up to? Give us a quick little update. Well, it's been quiet, (laughs) mainly because I adopted someone and Paddy, yeah, had a new baby. Yeah, all <laughs> so partner definitely... did most of the work, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that'd be impressive, but... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah we, we have been somewhat, somewhat kind of um, not that busy with the podcasting, actually, Joe, have we? So it's really lovely to be back with you guys. And um, we've, we've got a few more kind of in the pipeline, but uh, this is good to get us some momentum back. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Excellent. And just as a reminder, Joe and Patty are part of the PBS Matters team. So you can check them out on all of your favorite listening platforms. Um, and Shanna, what have you been up to in the interim? Um, well, kind of, as you know, less of the podcast and then more um, seeing clients, you know, and just more recently increasing my client caseload. So been pretty busy with that. Excellent. All right. Well, um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is our cross-pollination podcast group, um, or CPP, as you'll find it on the website and some of the episode titles. And we kind of came together last year to discuss um, just kind of different transitions that we were seeing within the field of behavior analysis, and especially with having part of our team over in the UK and then part of us here in the United States and some of the shifts and changes that are happening Um in those different kind of geographical locations. And so in the past, we've discussed issues um, such as our first one, we discussed range. Um, and that was going over, you know, what exactly are you working on? What are you looking at? And what can you do to expand that? And then we rolled into a discussion about interpersonal skills and then moving into fluency in the science. And then our last episode, which was, uh, I think, June of 2021, um, when it was released, was on listening skills. And so we've had this little break and it's been an interesting time because as you've heard, all of us have gone through this new stages and seasons of life, if you will. Um, You know, the wheel keeps turning, whatever, so many metaphors. But we've all changed and developed and shifted and grown in different areas and ways. And a lot of those changes impact your own personal and professional development. So it's not just about how, you know, it's, you know, Shanna, as you increase your caseload, that also impacts your personal life, but it also impacts the research that you're going to be looking into and, and exploration. And so it's kind of cool to see how 
we develop as behavior analysts. It's not just about attending conferences or reading research articles. So that's what we're going to dig into today. Um, so our discussion is going to focus on professional development from your own perspective. And then if you're supervising somebody, how you can kind of cultivate um, that curiosity to further someone's professional development. Because, you know, you can remain stagnant um, and you can, you know, go to the same talks all the time. But, you know, what does that really do? What are the benefits and the pros and cons on both of those sides? So with that, um, I kind of open it up to the floor of, you know, for you guys, let's just talk about what does it look like for you? So when you think about professional development, you know, are you looking at a calendar? Are you looking at talks coming up? Kind of what's your, what's your process with that? You should probably got someone more structured than, than me first, Kelly, I reckon. <laughs> that's, that's what I'd advise. <laughs> Okay, I, I had to pause real quick. I love the fact that literally all of us hit mute at the same time, except for Patty. So it was one, two, three, not it. Yeah. A little behind the scenes there for you listeners. But jump in, Patty. I trust yeah. you. You got this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll go. That's fine. <laughs> so I was thinking there's a couple of ways. I think some of it is quite structured. You want to know what um, talks and conferences are coming up. But then there's also that sort of ad hoc sort of stuff. So, um, for example, I've been working with a gentleman who has a diagnosis of Down syndrome and he's just received another diagnosis of early onset dementia. Not something I'm overly familiar with, but clearly I need to go and get some, some information. So go to the Down Syndrome Society and they put on a specific training for working with clients who have Down Syndrome and early onset dementia. So I think that's sort of planning, but also that sort of like as and when needed, that tends to be the way that I approach it. I would, it's pretty similar actually, Joe, I think, really. And depends on what's going, it's, you know, for us PBS practitioners, context is everything, right? You know, that contextual fit. Depends what's going on for you at the time, doesn't it? So, you know, really needing to seek out that kind of BCBA task supervision when you're going through your through your hours, working up to your exam. But um, just like Joe said, actually, just prompted me to think. Um, I remember doing some work with um, some individuals who had Prader-Willi syndrome. Again, something that I hadn't come across before. Need some very kind of specific understanding, really, working not only with those individuals, but with the teams and the families around those individuals. Um, I think again, kind of a real hot topic that's come up for us time and time again is organisational leadership, actually. So we've had a kind of big shift um, to looking at um, the research around leadership and the kind of current themes, particularly in the UK. Um, the research of a chap called uh, Michael West, is uh, who did uh, a lot of the research into um, leadership in the NHS, um, a lot of work around the challenges with junior doctors in the UK over the past few years, uh, and has really focused this work on compassionate leadership. So kind of a slight plug here, but it's a plug for stuff that's free, so it's not kind of, you know, <laughs> um, too conceited. But... Um, we have just uh, hosted a conference with the title being Compassionate PBS, and all the videos will be up on our website. We can share the link with you guys, all for free for people to access. Um, so like I said, we're coming into kind of conference season, something there. But definitely, I think Joe always kind of leads me to think in a bit more structured way. And yeah, definitely kind of whatever's going on at that point in time for us from a work perspective kind of leads me to... That's what you get your nose in the books and what you start looking at the, the research and, and start speaking to other people that have expertise in those areas, right? And, you know, I think um, as far as me, it's a little bit of kind of planning and then kind of like um, kind of an in the moment kind of thing that I do. Um, you know, I definitely agree with Joe, like on kind of what's going on with the clients that I have at the time and, oh, here's a new situation I'm running into. So, you know, that leads me to certain talks and literature, things like that. Um, also, because um, this may sound like I'm more organized than I am, but, um, you know, every so often in, in my calendar, you know, I'll have kind of this little reminder of get CEs, you know, because if not, I will come up on that time where it's like, oh my goodness, I have a few days to get all these CEs. And so um, in order to avoid that, I have that. And so then whenever I do that, it's kind of looking around between a balance of like, what's, you know, 
what's applicable to what I have going on at the time and, you know, what's interesting and maybe kind of allowing me to branch out a little bit, um, you know, just for something that maybe is interesting, but not applicable to my present caseload or something like that. I always like that as well, like just something where you go, ooh, I bet, yeah, that I, have, I have literally no, no idea about this. I don't necessarily need it. It's just pure interest to me. But I think that that's quite important as well because it opens up other sort of avenues or ways to think about things. Yeah, definitely. And I think that goes back to when your kind of original question, Kelly, around kind of cultivating curiosity really is kind of allowing people to go off and 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 look at, at areas that you might not particularly be focused on as a team or as a business at that that point in time um we've just done it with one of our team actually um someone that's had some kind of uh, a knock of confidence with regards to um some of her kind of outward facing work being with clients and um you know part of uh, us trying to support her to gain her confidence back again is, you know, we're going to run some kind of mini presentation workshops with her and said, you know, you go and fill your boots, whatever it is you're interested, go, go and tell me about it, you know, go and do some research on it, come back to us and tell us about it. And I think um, it can be um, a, a great way of, of supporting people to to develop many aspects not not just their kind of professional practice but some of those kind of softer skills that we've spoken about on many occasions in this um in this series that's what i was just writing down was you know professional development isn't just about going and filling your brain full of knowledge um or taking notes or you know doing a ce event it's cultivating your your skills regardless of what that is so if or or building up new skills um and that's where you find organizations that people enjoy working at and they, you know, they want to stay there. It's usually because they had some curiosity and were like, Hey, what if we played around with this? What do you think? And it's, yeah, man, go try it and see what happens. You know, science play around, see what happens. And, and so when you can cultivate that, not only is that person, you know, growing in their skills, but that's part of professional development too. So it's not just this, you know, what education are we getting, but also, what kind of a, a human are you wanting to build? You know, do you want to be someone who go and who goes and does presentations or at least is comfortable giving them? You know, maybe you don't want to go do ABBA, but you don't mind doing a Zoom, you know, those kind of things. So being able to understand someone well enough and have that open and honest relationship enough to where they say, Yeah, can you help me with this? And then, you know, that's that's cool. I like the layers that can come with that. And I think is the, you know even further than the, the very the specific subjects of today, but we see links in the research, particularly in the UK, to um, uh, retention rates of staff. You know, when people are able to go and explore projects that interest them and bring ideas back that are then explored by the organisation, there, there's links with, um, uh, with the retention of staff there. So ultimately, you know, for a lot of these organisations that are looking to create kind of compassionate cultures, so really key uh, variable, I think, allowing people to go off and explore and investigate and bring things back. You know, we were talking a little bit beforehand about like supervisors um, and and kind of what that relationship looks like. And I think that's something to also consider is if, if you're going to find a supervisor or you as the supervisor, and this, can, this goes both ways, um, you know, looking for somebody that is willing to ask harder questions or push you in a little bit more um, or push you in different directions that are outside of your comfort zone. Because, you know, I was just thinking extinction, um, you know, you're not coming in contact with a reinforcer because you're not comfortable, but it also breeds creativity. It's not just a bad thing. So if you're pushed out of your comfort zone a little bit, then you can start to develop these cool skills. And so being able to find, like you said, people that are willing to cultivate that, I think is nifty. There we go. I had a thought as well with it. I was just thinking, like, actually, we should be embracing that anyway, that we don't we don't want to be creating loads of little ABA robots, which I think, you know, historically, we've all been somewhat accused of that sort of like, this is the way that we do it in ABA. But actually, you know, if we're getting people that have a slightly different background and different interests and stuff, we can really expand and cultivate our science as a whole and just really see the value that different people, different professions and people with just different interests and backgrounds can really bring and enhance us. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that's brilliant and something we should be embracing. And I think it's difficult to kind of 
maybe not seek out that, but oftentimes, and I even catch myself looking at a, a lot of our um, episodes and everything, we do a lot of discussion around things, but how often, you know, is it a how-to, but not a how-to about here's a reinforcement schedule, how to run the reinforcement schedule, but things like how to give a presentation or um, the behavior analytic principles of meeting with a supervisee to go over, you know, observations, things like that, that, you know, we've got this really cool science that can be applied on multiple levels. And sometimes it is kind of cool to take it down to a real micro level and then expand it out from there. Um, and then I was also thinking too, like within organizations, you know, you mentioned the the retention rates and I know that that's been a huge struggle across everywhere right now, um, you know, just because the world is what it is. So um, I, th I think that knowledge of wrap, you know, that, that, that professional development isn't just what education can I provide? Yeah. So really delving into like, what other skills do we want to go? So we've got these two different kind of layers that we've looked at so far. Um, so any thoughts on that before we kind of shift maybe? I think, um, just the, some of our experiences during this strange past couple of years and the, and then the need to kind of be flexible with with some of your approaches has been um really interesting certainly for us as a as a business i think and um it's again going back to the kind of development of some of your softer skills um we've certainly learned that we have to be much more flexible particularly if we're running kind of longitudinal courses with people because the likelihood that something has popped up that's caused a significant problem. So I think there's been a real significant for development in terms of us being able to offer an, uh, offer kind of differentiated packages and differentiated kind of support programs to, to people going through some of our courses, but also to those um, uh, services that we're providing. So, yeah, um, just the, the interest that kind of... Um, these challenges kind of throw up for us and kind of force us to develop perhaps in ways that we weren't anticipating. And, you know, I think certainly for, for us as a business, it's putting that time in to reflect, to recognize where some of that development has occurred. Actually, it's not necessarily been planned for. I wouldn't say it's necessarily been that well thought out and considered, but when we reflect, we realize that we've kind of stumbled across, uh, across something that has actually helped us develop. So yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways of, of approaching it, I think. And looking to, especially to outside sources. So, you know, um, one of our previous episodes, Shanna talked about telehealth and the fact that telehealth in the medical community has been around since the early 90s, pretty well, 90s-ish. Um, and it was one of those like kind of a dawn to the rest of us of like, oh my gosh, we can also do this. And so, yeah, you know, situations arise that, you know, again, may put us in a situation that makes us uncomfortable and we're not getting the same kind of reinforcement that we're used to, like seeing our clients in person, being able to make those changes there, um, and now having to change your skills around and like, okay, I have to deliver prompts and I have to model all while looking through a computer screen. Okay, my observation skills now have to be on point as well as my descriptive skills. And that's one thing I've learned over the last couple of years is, man, I'm really terrible sometimes with telling someone the exact thing I need them to do. Like, no, move the thingy with the stuff, like just do this. Right. And yeah. So, but, in, but this is part of, you know, professional development and what can I do to get better? We practice, we go through, I get feedback. I have someone else watch me or listen and go, okay, here's what I saw. Here's what you could have done instead. And all of that encompasses this, you know, really broad topic. You know, kind of like thinking of, you know, with telehealth, it's even though it's been available, you know, like I think, you know, the past couple of years, we've come to rely upon it a lot more. And, and not only that, but like see the benefits of it, um, you know, like thinking of um, I think in, in our company, we're more readily um, we more readily reach out to the other therapist and say, hey, can you jump on Zoom and, and for my client session? Uh, we, we set up phone calls or Zoom meetings to be like, I need to consult on this, this client that I have. Um, and I think it's, it's really good because we cover, you know, therapeutic related things, but we also talk about kind of, like you said, those soft skills that we're mentioning, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for that. And, you know, I think that these are things that you can use in a supervision setting 
but where how we use it, we're all behavior analysts along with one LPC um, who I'm so grateful to have. And, you know, talking about branching out has been so helpful in the sense of where my expertise ends and hers, um, you know, can come in and help. She's been a, a great help there. But just having those people to reach out to and not looking just to other behavior analysts who've been in the field longer than me. Um, we have some um, in our company who've been a, a BCBA longer than I have, who've been working with adults longer than I have, and she offers great advice to me. I've had some who've only been a BCBA for a year or two or a few years, and they've offered great advice to me as well. So I think just encouraging, maybe through our supervision and, and just in any opportunity that we have to do this is, um, encouraging us to reach out to other people, whether it has to do with soft skills, um, whether it has to do with interventions and plans and things like that, and not discount the people who've, who haven't been around as long as we have. I think that there's great value in, in reaching out to those people and, and almost um, um, a disservice to our clients by not reaching out to them. Because I mean, I feel like firsthand, I've, I've gained so much knowledge I wouldn't have otherwise by reaching out to those, to those newer therapists. I think um, there's something that absolutely, Shanna, I completely agree. I think in terms of kind of uh, developing, it's really tricky sometimes. You know, you can go to conferences, you can get an idea of what somebody else is doing. But like you say, we spent a long time learning the language of applied behavior analysis, right? It's, it's tricky to get out of those boots at times. And I think what collaboration provides us is an opportunity to walk with somebody, you know, down a different path. And I, I certainly think in, in my career, the opportunity to work with other people outside of our direct discipline has been invaluable in terms of that kind of professional development for so many different reasons. You know, people approach those therapeutic relationships perhaps slightly differently. They will um, develop their learning aids differently. They're, you know, all of that kind of stuff. They're, they have different approaches in terms of even collaborating with other kind of areas. So I think, a really great point on the kind of power of collaboration. And I think more important now than it ever has been before um, to, to kind of collaborate as a vital piece of that kind of professional development. And I think also that that can stimulate some of that kind of curiosity in other areas too. I've seen a few folks in the UK um, that are now training as um, SLTs or speech pathologists would it be over there with you guys? Yeah. So uh, people that were um, ABA practitioners that are now um, training as speech and language therapists too. It looks like some really funky work, actually. It's cool. We actually have a, an SLP PCBA as well. And it is. It's super yeah. rad. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's... Oh. Yeah, I was going to say we have a, a, a group, I think, within the UK SBA that is specifically for people who are speech and language therapists and BCBAs um, so that they can share resources and learning and stuff, uh, which, yeah, is brilliant and also gives us that opportunity like, oh, we know that you're here and we actually... Uh, speak to you. Um, I did have another point to make, but I think, Shanna, you go first and then uh, I will jump back in. So, yeah, I mean, I think kind of just what you were saying is just the value of of reaching out. Like, like Kelly said, we have um, a, a therapist who um, I think became a speech therapist first and then got her BCBA. Um, and, and she's been I mean, she's valuable for a lot of reasons, um, and, but one of those being that like, oh, I've got a language or a communication question. Um, she and I have in, in, in a way have one client who's the same. We're working on separate things with them, but a lot of things tend to overlap and she's been a very valuable resource for that. Um, you know, and then just thinking of just recently where I've um, consulted with uh, another one of my clients, speech therapist, and um, just the, the value that it brings. I think that we do ourselves and, and more and more so our clients a disservice when we're not reaching out to them and, and gaining knowledge from them. Um, you know, it just, it, it ultimately helps our client by doing that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I knew you wanted to say something about speech pathologists and stuff, which is why I was like, oh, I must make sure <laughs> I don't take over at that point. But I was just seeing from when Paddy was talking about that whole like, working with other professions and everything so one of my supervisees it's been really interesting she's doing um an aba uh you know bcba sort of verified course sequence 
but she works with um, domestic abuse um, clients, which obviously that's not my area of expertise at all. But also we couldn't find a BCPA that has that area of expertise. So we're doing like joint supervision with a clinical psych and then I'm helping her translate principles into ABA speak, if you like. Oh my gosh, has this like broadened my understanding of the applications of science so much because I'm no longer just going like PBS is this, da, 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 da. it's sort of like, okay, well, this is actually why stimulus equivalence is so important. This is what we're doing with terminating a trigger. Uh, sort of a warning stimulus so yeah we, we you know that's negatively reinforced and while we might actually see people personally triggering an incident with their violent partner and it, it has it's just broadened my knowledge of the science so much by working with a slightly different population she's also working on an American base and oh my gosh you guys like just trying to get my head back some of your laws and stuff it's been a nightmare and so I'm also learning about American culture somewhat which is also really opened me up because yeah I didn't realize that coercion and control does not exist as a criminal issue for you guys and there you go that's well aside from ABA but yeah I mean like working with a different population is just I feel really enhanced my actual knowledge of the science overall as well as understanding and working alongside another profession. Oh, I strongly agree. That is that is a really cool area of research. I applaud you guys so much for that. And yeah, so not only is it the American culture, it's an American military culture in the UK. Yeah, yeah, mind blown. Um, I've been I've been on that culture. It's it's not, <laughs> it is not, it's unique. We'll just say that it's unique. But the the fact that you you know, one, you guys did, let, let's look at the ethics of things. So she comes to you and says, I would like to be supervised, please. And thank you. Here's what I'm interested in. You go, oh, geez, um, I would like to supervise you, but this is, you know, not something that I'm familiar with. What do we do? And what do we do? We ask questions. We're, you know, we're scientists. That's what we're supposed to do. So we go out and we seek information. Do we know anybody that does this? No. Okay. Who actually does work with these people? Let's go talk to them and see if we can find somebody. And then having that relationship and that collaboration. So not only are you expanding your science, I'll, I'll in turn say that this clinical psychologist that you're working with is probably also going, holy snap, this isn't the Skinner that I was taught in school, you know, because they're typically taught a very, you know, bland version of what behavior and behaviorism looks like. So, you know, it's cool to be able to see that again, you know, as much as we want to say it's about us and our professional development and how cool we can do, like, we can also be impactful in other areas as well. And then like, again, my mind is blown with like the research, you know, and the, the developments that can come out of this because it's, it's a scary area. Um, I think a lot of BCBAs and a lot of behavior analysts are more familiar with people with disabilities, um, you know, even with mentioning Prader-Willie, um, schizophrenia, things like that, that might not be as normal. Those words don't quite, you know, you know they don't quite raise the hair on the back of my neck. Now, when I hear domestic violence, sexual abuse, exploitation, things like that, that I go, ooh, that's a, that's a scary area, but it's, it is an area that needs help. And so being able to see that and have, you know, a passion and a curiosity for it and be able to go and say, you know, what do we need to do to work on this and, and, and build up. So again, you know, we've got all of these, these layers going on. I love it. Um, so yeah, I look forward to hearing more about that. And just kind of seeing how things roll with that. That's really fascinating. Um, I wanted to mention one thing that we talked that was several minutes back. Um, but Shannon, you mentioned, you know, valuing newer behavior analysts and BCBAs and everything. And that has been a discussion a lot in, in the recent months about remembering the people that are, you know, still on the front lines, essentially. So your RBTs, your people that are just coming into the field and, you know, valuing their lack of experiences in the field, but also they had, you know, however many years they've been alive of experience, they have gone through life. So therefore they have some knowledge in there that can be shared and can be used. You know, if you're looking for something to, you know, shape up a new behavior, you know, you, you look back and you go, okay, what are the things that you, that you've done in the past that have gone well? And we can start building from there and start building these new skills and building that relationship and building this, you know, RBT or, or whomever. 
So I think it's really, yeah, I love the point of valuing individuals who, you know, again, they don't have the quote unquote professional skills or professional years behind them, but they have life years and they have education and, and, you know, their own knowledge and everything. And, and that's valuable and should be considered. Yeah. And, you know, when you said it, it made me think of something else too, is one, those who are not certified yet. Cause you know, I'm talking about the ones who are just newly certified, but thinking back on my experience, when I first started in the field, we would have this weekly meeting with the BCBAs and all the direct line therapists who were working with the clients. And we would come, you know, to the BCBAs with our questions. Um, hey, what should we do about this situation? And I remember the BCBA, one particular BCBA being, what do you think we should do? I, I don't know. I, I'm just this little peon. I don't know what to do, you know, but she wanted me to answer that question. And I think that it has helped me. Um, one is to think critically, to problem solve, you know, and not just to, she didn't want me to just learn how to ask a question to somebody and wait for the answer. She wanted to teach me how to ask the question and answer it myself. Um, and, and to, to learn through trial and error. Cause there were some times where, you know, I'd say, well, what do you think about doing this? Go try it and see, come back and tell me how it goes. And I'm like, but, but is that the right answer? You know? And it was, it was, it was scary, but I think that she helped me in so many valuable ways by doing that for me. So not only, you know, I mentioned earlier how me con, um, consulting with a, I'll call them a newer BCBA helped me, but I think too is it also helps that newer BCBA. It builds their confidence. It helps them to learn how to problem solve. Um, there's just benefit all around, I think, from doing that. Um, so I was kind of uh, kicking around just, you know, how, you know, where we want to go with this. And I think one thing that we've really hit on is understanding your own boundaries or not boundaries, your own, um, your own lack of understanding and what you don't know, and then being able to go out and seek out that information. And I kind of want to talk about maybe some of the barriers that we have with that. Cause you know, it's not, I mean, we could say that it's, oh yeah, it's just as simple as, you know, send an email, give a phone call, things like that. But it's maybe not always that easy. So, you know, like, um, Joe, especially in your case, you know, what it, cause that was, it was a huge barrier with, you know, not having a, a BCBA that's familiar with domestic violence. That's not like their area of expertise. So what was kind of that process of looking around, um, you know, can you explain that a little bit more? Yes. <laughs> um, yes. So, um, the first thing that I actually did was I contacted the ASBA just cause that's, there's sort of like the in a body in the UK that no, you know, loads of the BCBAs in the UK are a member of there. So it was sort of like, hey, is there anyone here who, who knows this population? Tumbleweed, no. It was like, okay, that's fine. Um, and then I spoke to my supervisor and sort of said, what do, what do you think about this? Like, uh, it's quite interesting, but it's not something that we can find anyone in um yeah what's the ethics of doing this and that's when we were like okay well let's think about doing some joint supervision um with a person who specializes in domestic abuse that is not a bcba so it was sort of like putting it out generally to a body that we know can contact people in the uk that have the bcba credential but then yeah, action planning together, essentially, about what we can do when we can't find that person. Because you have to look at what the goals are and like what the expectations are. So this isn't just about, you know, someone getting their supervision hours knocked off. I mean, that's, that is part of the goal. But a lot of the goal is still helping the individuals that you're working with. And so making sure that those expectations and those goals are all in alignment. So what does your supervisee want to learn out of this? What are you going to learn out or want to learn out of this? What does the other person that you're collaborating with want to learn out of this? And then what are we doing with the client and how is that going to look and all those roles? So, I mean, that brings up so much need for that, those interpersonal skills and the willingness to kind of shut up and listen and let the other person talk about, you know, if it's their specialty, as much as we want to maybe jump in. And even sometimes it's just the, the knowledge of saying, oh, oh, I can associate that with something in behavior. Okay. Give it time and then come back and see if you're still right. Like let them go through because it's, it, it, it's it's more global than that. It's it's not just this small little entity. It's it's the whole package that has to go and be 
and be worked with. All right, friends, a quick break in the action. If you are listening for continuing education units, here is the first of your two key words. Your first word is layers, L-A-Y-E-R-S. Supervision can have many layers. We had a similar sort of situation as well with um, a, a, a gentleman who had sort of like self-induced vomited so much that um, someone was looking for specialist supervision in that. And I think because I chair the PBS special interest group, they came to me and I was like, I've only ever worked with one case. So it's like, yeah, um, okay, let's put it out. And we could find like this whole group of people that had worked with one or two people who had a self-induced vomiting sort of presentation. So then we linked together to sort of like have a bit of group support rather than an individual supervisor. Um, and I think that that worked really nicely because all of us learned a little bit of something off each other, but also with like collaborative planning uh, rather than it being one person that you can get knowledge from. Um, and then I believe that we actually ended up reaching out to someone who had written a paper <laughs> as well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, that's another way of doing it. Um, yeah, life hack that I have learned and yet I am terrified to ever do because I have severe anxiety um, is you actually can email authors of papers and a lot of them, most of them are more than willing to send you a copy of it because they don't get any money from the publisher. So yeah, reach out to people. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be like me. <laughs> be, be assertive. Um, but I think this also brings up a huge point of verbal communities and, you know, having somebody or somebody's that you can go to. So even if it is a Facebook group or, um, you know, a LinkedIn group or something like that, or you've got people that you're on a WhatsApp chat together or a study group or something like, it's really important to have that kind of community where you can bounce ideas off each other. Or, you know, sometimes it's nice just to be able to say things out loud, have an objective party go, eh, or say, yeah, that was great. And, and have that kind of feedback. You know, that was one of the things I think when, you know, 2020 and, and the pandemic started and everything went into shutdown was that we, a lot of people really struggled with not having access to their communities. And so it would, I don't know, I'd be curious to do, you know, an informal poll of like, you know, professional development at that point was really limited, I think, to what kind of conferences can you go to? <laughs> what kind of CEs can you find online? Because so many of us didn't have access to that community anymore. And those are things that we should also consider when just kind of looking at the rest of the world and how things are populated. Like here in the States, we've got, you know, some areas that are super dense full of behavior analysts and other ones where, you know, you're a BB in a shoebox. I think that's a phrase. So, but yeah. So, I mean, really, I mean, professional development, as, as we've kind of talked about it, is not just this isolated, you know, thing. It's, it's not just going to conferences and getting your CEs, but it really is kind of all of the experiences and how you incorporate it into your behavior analytic profession. I mean, for a lot of us, you know, it's really hard to not be a behavior analyst at all hours of the day because you just kind of look around and you see principles everywhere. So other thoughts on things? I think I, I wish I, the amount of stuff that I come across that I forget. I saw, I saw a cartoon um, on Google Images a while back, and uh, I, I, for the life of me, I can't find it. You know, when you stumble across something, think that's awesome, and then it just kind of drifts out of your consciousness. But it was something along the lines of um, it's these kind of images of, 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 of a male interest me, but I don't think that's particularly important. And it was about kind of confidence in giving answers. And I think particularly we've been doing a lot of organisational work. And um, this diagram was kind of showing the, the kind of young buck, chest puffed, you know, handsome and all that kind of stuff, really confident with that they can answer any question. And as it kind of gets to the next stage, a little bit more mature, that confidence was kind of dropping. And then it gets to this kind of guru in his robes and his long beard and all that kind of stuff. And it was something around kind of so much being so much less confident in providing an answer to questions because of the complexity of situations that we find ourselves in. And I think that's certainly one of the things that I think can support that professional development is having the confidence to say, I'm not sure I've got exactly the right answer for, for this particular scenario. And I'm going to need to go and collaborate. You know, I think a lot of us are, 
feel the pressure to move quickly. We come across situations that are so difficult sometimes and, and we can see that people are suffering um, and need that support. But um, changing changing the, the behaviour of systems and, and organisations is, is complex work. Yeah, Joe's giving me a big wide arm span. Um, and... As I say, I'm so much more confident now in saying I'm not sure exactly what the right answer is for you guys because every organisation is so different and the history is and you know all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think there's there's something in in that that confidence of saying I, I don't know and and that leads you to to then either collaborate or to get your nose in other things or or sometimes just to just to sit within a system for a while and say I'm just going to spend a bit more time listening. Um, yeah, you know that makes me think too of. I keep referencing, you know, consults with other behavior analysts because that's what I'm into day in and day out. But you can think about it as a supervisor, um, you know, as well. But I mean, there's many times where, you know, you have the BCBA who's working directly with the client, the caregivers, all that kind of stuff. So they have so much more knowledge on the case than I do, but they come to me for consult. And so I'll throw out a lot of ideas, but I'll say, ultimately, though, you've got to go with what you believe is right because you know the situation better than me. And I, I think also being willing to do that in those situations like I do, but also if you're a supervisor as well, because I don't think we always have to have the answer, the right answer, because we may not hold that right answer, but the information we shared may help them arrive at the right answer. I mean, I got, let me use this plan. I got schooled by uh, my supervisee, shout out Rebecca, um, because she worked in a school. And I've talked to this several times. I come from a clinic background. I had no idea, but I was not humble at this stage of my development um, and was quickly humbled because like you're finding out, Joe, there's a whole lot of rules and regulations um, in these different locations and environments and holy shnikes, schools, again, I applaud, I love every teacher and everyone who works in a school. You are wonderful, wonderful humans. I never want to do your job ever because I cannot stand that many rules and regulations, but it's, but it was this beautiful experience for both of us. We've, we've continued to talk about it um, because she got to go and see what it looks like in a clinic and have this wonderful, like, oh man, yeah, this is really great. I would love to be able to have this. And then I got to see quote unquote, the real world and really seeing that real world version um, for me was much more impactful and much more, um, I, I think I've, I've come, you know, I, I utilize a lot more of those examples and, and, and that knowledge in my current practice because it's, a, it's, not, it's not clean. You know, when things happen in schools, like especially right now, um, there's a huge shortage of teachers in our area. And so, you know, it's, it's scrambling for people to cover classes or they're just having to cancel classes and no one can come to school because there's no teachers there. And so it's, but that's real life. And, and that's one of those. So when I go and I have to go work with my, my humans who may or should be in school or something like that, I have a little bit of knowledge about what that environment looks like. And so we're able to work through and I'm able to maybe be a little bit more empathetic at the forefront. I'm still going to keep listening and I'm still going to keep asking questions to try to help. But because of the experiences I've gone through, it's like, okay, I have a slightly better understanding of what the situation looks like. And I, you know, we'll still ask those questions, but we might make progress a little bit faster because I was, you know, we were both willing to open ourselves up to, to work through that supervisory relationship. Yeah. I think that you make a good point too. It's like, sometimes we don't have the right answers because we don't know all the rules and regulations for a place. So, you know, if I go into a school or a group home or a day hab or wherever I go, you know, it's like before I can say, this is how we're going to do it. It's more of, hey, here's one possible way to do it. Does that conflict with any rules or guidelines that y'all have or, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's always a team effort. It's always a collaboration because when you don't, 
that's when you can really confuse a client of, well, I said, do it this way. But then there, you know, then later on the staff at that group home or whatever may be like, no, you can't do it that way. And so the clients, you know, like what I don't, she's telling me to do this, but she's telling me not to do this, you know? So I think that it's just another reminder of how important it is to collaborate and to also consider the rules and regulations for the places that we're going into and that our clients are going to be working and living in. I was just thinking there as well as being aware of like the rules and regulations sometimes as well we get so stuck in the system ourselves that it can be really useful to talk to someone outside of that system because they're like hey what about this you're like oh hang on I never even really thought about that because I've got so like this is the way that this is done here so it can be really useful to to get that too where we're not so bound by the environment that we're working in. Um, So I kind of want to not summarize here, but, you know, just kind of lay things out a little bit uh, for our listeners as well to, to kind of re, not regroup, but just, yeah, we'll standardize, we'll structure things a little bit. So we've talked about really professional development isn't um, a, a small thing. It's a very broad uh, area that you can look into. It doesn't just have to be about getting CEs, things like that. It's really, you know, it's your development as a professional behavior analyst um, or professional, whatever it is you're doing. So, you know, what do you want to do with your career? What do you want to learn and explore? You know, and, and I think that's a really tough question. Um, you know, we talk a lot about gold diamond and the constructional approach and that question of where do you want to go from here? Um, and I know that I can kind of, you know, get stuck in that, especially, you know, early on in my career was more like, oh no, I'm going to, you know, do this kind of work for a while. And then, you know, maybe I'll go and, you know, be a program director somewhere and, and do that. And then life happens and you go, oh, maybe I don't want to do that. But that's all part of the development because now if my goal has changed, so now, you know, my, my shift is much more advocacy and dissemination. So my development also shifts, you know, I'm not, when I go and I attend conferences, you know, I'm not just listening to um, individuals, you know, discuss reinforcement schedules or, um, you know, extinction bursts and, you know, things like that. You know, I want to go and listen more about, public speaking um, or how to disseminate in other ways and, you know, you know, things like that. So it's also being that self-aware of, you know, knowing what you don't know, um, but also knowing kind of where you want to go and not just, you know, saying, like I said, I I used the word stagnant earlier, but that's really what it is. I mean, we can get really comfortable um, doing our day in, day out, day in, day out. But part of the reason I like behavior analysis and I like working with individuals with disabilities, especially is it's challenging. Um, it's a different adventure every day. And I'm one of those people that I like to have my brain challenged. And so, you know, bring on the the curiosity and the and the the weird things that can happen because that also gives me a chance to go and explore and to ask other questions and figure out, you know, what else is going on with this? Because while I'm expanding my own knowledge, you know, the goal is for me to use that knowledge with the person, like Shanna said. So that way we're actually, it's not just about me. You know, I'm just taking what I've learned and then utilizing it. Um, And then hopefully we see development across the board. I think there's a couple of nice links with acceptance and commitment therapy there, actually, Kelly, in in many ways, you know. Um, There's certainly been times in my career where I thought, my goodness, this is hard. (laughs) This is harder than I thought it was going to be. And that can, that can have quite an impact on you and your loved ones and, and the people around you. Um, but there's also something about being clear about your values and, like you say, where you want to go. And, and sometimes I'm not sure exactly what my next step is um, from a career perspective. But, but I know that I find great value and um, a sense of purpose from from this line of work and my goodness from what I understand about well-being that stuff's really important I heard this analogy around you know you people often say oh you know it's like an oil tanker you know it uh, it takes a long time to turn but I also heard someone rephrase that the other day that I, I really liked and said it's not just that it takes a while to turn it's that from a navigation perspective you need to be really clear where you're going when you're operating something that big and your life's something big and it's important where you're going. So I think for those professionals out there to have a think, you don't have to know exactly where you're going, but have an idea about the directions you're interested in and feed that. And I think for people that are running teams to support that curiosity, just have conversations 
you know, make time within your organization to talk to each other, to have time to reflect, to have time. Are you, are you on course for whatever island it is that you're heading towards that you're interested in? You don't have to know the exact pinpoint destination, but time to reflect. And, and sometimes that doesn't have to be too formal, you know. Again, the research of Michael West that, that I'm kind of deep in at the minute, so forgive me for raising it again, but he talks about just get teams to reflect. Where are you guys going? You know, is there anything else that will be useful for you on that journey? We can we can sometimes over-engineer this. And I think just kind of putting the brakes on every now and then because most of us are operating at about as high speed as we possibly can operate. Um, and it's important to be able to stop because sometimes you can't see what's going on around you when you're moving so quickly. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I like the, the oil tanker analogy. It's kind of how I feel on a regular basis, just slowly plodding along going, Okay, I think I'm going. On the, we're still moving forward, so we have to be going in at least a right direction. Um, but yeah, it's and, and I'm one. I was never. I think I changed my idea of what I wanted to be growing up. Like you know, every other day, I had a couple of things that kind of stuck. But I was, you know, very much not a committal child, um, and so I've enjoyed being able to explore and dabble and everything. And thankfully, had situations where it was cultivated um, and it was reinforced. So, you know, what, uh, the university I went to was very big on that. There were several projects that started because a grad student had a thought one day and went, "Hey, which one of your professors is going to support me on this?" And you know, they would go and get some support and everything, and it would develop. And some of those projects are still going today, and it's super cool. Um, and and that's that's part of this development that we talk about. You know, it's looking at things that you're curious about or things that you're working with people on and going, you know, I don't know all the information. So what can I do to go and find out more? And like Joe said at the beginning, it doesn't have to be formal every single time. Like you don't have to sign up for a workshop or a webinar and do the coursework and all those things. Like you can go have a chat with somebody. Um, a lot of people were sitting on our computers and like, send a Facebook message, send a LinkedIn message, you know, you'd be surprised how many people will respond back, um, even if you don't know them. And again, being a person that has anxiety, it's terrifying. Um, but at the same time, I've been able to talk to some really cool people and learn some really cool information. Because, yeah, I think a lot of us want to disseminate and we want to share our knowledge, um, because we think what we do is cool. You know, let's be honest here. But at the same time, other, other people think the same thing. And so we should also listen to them, share their knowledge because they think what they do is really cool. And it is. And so you can have these, you know, more informal um, ad hoc discussions like, man, you know, I just got a client that has, you know, this diagnosis. I'm not really familiar with that. Um, medications that come out. You know, I've recently had clients that are put on an ALS medication for nerves, had no idea that was actually, a th that's been a thing in use since like the 90s. Here I am thinking it's like a brand new thing. Nope, sure didn't. Had to go do my research. Definitely got humbled real fast on that one. So, but it's it's those kind of opportunities. So when you come up against a barrier or a you know, some knowledge that you don't have or, you know, experiences that you don't have, you know, we shouldn't just look at it as like, well, I guess I'm done. Throw in the towel. We're all done now. Like, no, that should be like your number one SD for going and professional developing yourself. You know, go find a research article. Go, you know, we've got the internet. Again, I love, hate it, but use the internet. You know, it's a resource. Reach out to people. Find your community. So Ped and I tried to make sure that as part of our PBS Masters podcast that we spoke to people from different professions and that there that, that, has, that has opened my eyes so much. So the one that I always remember was working with them, talking with a vision rehabilitation specialist, was that the right name? And you know, when she was talking about like um, assessments for functional vision and how you know how much vision someone has and then teaching them the skills about how to use their vision to the most effect when they have limited vision that kind of blows your mind and then you know and it made me think back to a gentleman that I worked with and I was like oh my god I wish I knew about you when I worked with this chap because what a difference that would have made to his life so I think you know it is it's not it's just those little opportunities sometimes to find out the stuff you didn't know you didn't know and yet yeah, I found out so much stuff that I didn't know that I didn't know from just talking to different professions, which is, yeah, just really cool. And I think important for us to go outside of our field and talk to other people to find that sort of stuff out. Yeah, you know, 
I keep, I feel like I keep referencing kind of the same thing, but I mean, it's, it's what I'm in, you know, day in and day out of, you know, what I think is really great about, you know, the, the company that I'm with and then the, you know, the clients that we have is that um, we have the opportunity to work with a wide range of clients, different disabilities, different life circumstances, all those kind of things. And a lot of times we bring in behavior analysts who, um, and, and our LPC, who a lot of them have a full-time job somewhere, but it's a great opportunity to expand their experience. You know, and sometimes whenever you're talking with the individual and they're trying to make a decision on if they want to do it, it's, it's one of those things of, hey, you can have zero experience if you just have the interest to do it. You know, there, there are people in the company um, and outside of our company who we can reach out to. And as a, you know, as a team, whoever makes up that team and it's different for each client, we can all work together to help that client because without people like us, those, those individuals won't be served. Um, and so it's been nice to see those behavior analysts who, um, you know, maybe, maybe they work at a clinic with young children with autism. Um, but then, you know, outside of that time, they're working with typically adults with varying types of disabilities, maybe sometimes even mental health issues or, or other circumstances in their life. And they're able to expand their experience with the support from the other therapists in the company, other professionals outside of the company, um, and also in turn help that client as well. So I think it's one of those things that there, I would like to think that there's other places other than our company who, who maybe offer or have the opportunity to offer some similar experiences, but they're out there, um, you know, to be able to branch out there comfortably and safely. Um, kind of a balance between probably comfortably, uncomfortable, you know, I mean, it's, you have the support of people while you're also stepping out into kind of the unknown perhaps. Um, but I mean, that's, that's what keeps me at the company that I am because it is, it allows me to always kind of be branching out. And, and I say that knowing that there's so much more out there beyond what I, my company um, offers, the company that I'm with offers um, that, you know, maybe this talk right here is encouraging me to go reach out into some of those areas that, that our company doesn't offer. So I think um, as we kind of come to a close on this, um, I'll open it up for you guys to give your last final thoughts, but I want to do a quick, another quick summary. I just like summarizing, apparently. Um, it's a counseling background in me. It's what we're good at. Summarize and paraphrase. Um, so we've talked about, you know, I guess a professional development isn't just structured. It, we can have these great informal discussions and there's a lot of benefits to continuing to grow yourself, um, whether it is your behavior analytic career or just as a human, you know, learning a new skill as a human, that's going to impact you professionally, most likely. Um, if you go out and learn something new, you're going to find those contingencies weaving their way into your, your work and everything. And that's really, you know, what it is. You know, professional development is looking at what are the the reinforcers that I want? You know, is it that I want more information? Do I want to help my clients more? How do I help my clients more? And that just leads us back to seeking out more information. And so there's not a whole lot that can go wrong with professional development. Um, and if you don't engage in it, you know, that's fine too. It's, you know, if you just want to do your CEs and, you know, check the little boxes off, that's groovy. Um, that's totally your choice. But it also may you know, impact the relationship with your clients or the progress with the people with you work with or the people, maybe your colleagues. So things like that. So really, you know, as, um, as we've talked about it, there's so many opportunities to go out and just expand your knowledge, improve yourself, learn a new skill, um, try something new. Again, you don't have to learn it. You can just try it and go, oh, this is totally not for me. That's also growth. Just because you try something doesn't mean you have to fall in love with it. You know, it's totally fine to work with a population and go, you know what, this does not, this is not my jam. This does not bring me joy. Um, and that, that's a huge, huge thing because in all honesty, good. I'm so glad you've realized that. Let's put you somewhere else because if it's not a reinforcing environment for you, why the heck are you want to go, do you want to go to work every day? Like, so there's that kind of thing too. So development isn't always about, you know, like I've been mentioning learning new skills, but it's also about learning what you don't want to do. Um, and, and your growth that way too, because yeah, you're probably not going to like everything you come in contact with. And it's good to know 
what it is you don't like. So that way it doesn't catch you off guard if it does happen. So that growth can go both ways. So if you're feeling like you're kind of been in a rut and everything, um, you know, try something, throw, throw your hat into the ring of some new skill or join a, you know, a group that you aren't familiar with, try a new hobby, um, look up some new research. Like I'm going to go look up this vision rehabilitation specialist now, because that sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, and something that I've never heard of. And so, you know, will I, will it benefit my practice? Maybe we don't know, but it's something that, you know, I like information that's reinforcing for me. So therefore I'll follow the reinforcement. Um, so yeah, so really that's kind of my final thoughts on, on professional development is you don't have to go do structured things. You don't have to look professional. Um, I definitely do not. Um, so that's one of those great things of, you know, we're all humans. Um, and so we all have our own unique life and learning histories and everything. And we're all going to develop a little bit differently, but we can also help each other in that too. So going back to those verbal communities. So those are my thoughts. I leave the, the floor open to you guys to give your final opinions discussion. I think just to echo some of that, actually, Kelly, you know, go, go out and try um, some new things. Uh, again, New Year's resolution territory for me. And um, to picking up the book Atomic Habits again and um, cracking on with the habit tracker, I'm thinking, my goodness, I have stuck to so many more of these New Year's resolutions than I have over the previous couple of years. And I know this stuff, you know, <laughs> having that habit tracker up by my coffee machine in the morning has, without a shadow of a doubt, improved my adherence to those things that I said I was going to do. So practice is fun. It's useful for you, too, you know, and useful for your practice. Um, and I think... Um, well, as you said, there can be nothing wrong without not worrying about your own personal development. I think for organizations, particularly kind of human services that are staffed by, by human beings, there is a massive problem if they are not considering the professional development of their workforce. You know, we're lucky that we've accessed some kind of higher level education very often. You know, we're perhaps a bit more autonomous in our roles. I think for, for organizations, part of the reason to see such high turnover rates of staff is because we're not considering professional development enough. And also, we can over-engineer that. So I think my final point on that is listen, but take time out within teams to listen to your workforce, listen to what their needs are and help them perhaps interpret where those professional development needs may be. Oh, and um, of course, if you want to know more about the um, Vision Rehab Worker, we've got a great podcast. <laughs> Who's here? You've got your little plug in. <laughs> Well done. Um, yeah, I think my final thoughts are that sort of like not being afraid to realise that you don't know something and going out and exploring. And yeah, exploring for exploring sake, that's very much what I like to do. And I think a bit like yourself, Kelly, it's sort of like sometimes something hooks me in and I go down this little rabbit hole. And yeah, but, it, it, but stuff in that little rabbit hole is so useful as well. Like I might not necessarily need it right then, but in the future, it's sort of like, oh, I read this before and that could be really useful. And oh, sorry. <laughs> and yeah, so it's sort of like it's it's exploring for like information's sake, I think is probably my thing. Having a bit of a structured approach is really useful. But yeah, I kind of see where things take me. But yeah, I might mute myself now and let Shannon do her final thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I'm going to, I mean, I feel like there's lots I could say, but, you know, I think y'all said most of it. But one thing that I took a, took note on is one of you, maybe it was you, Patty, who said about reflecting on, on your long-term goals. Um, that, you know, I made a note of that because I just thought of within our organization, that would be a great thing to do. And I think it could help us get some direction for, um, you know, for, for each of the behavior analysts as an individual, um, but also just thinking of us as a company of where are the therapists who are working for us, where are they wanting to go, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know, I just feel like there, there has to be some benefit to each individual within our company, but then us as a whole, by hearing what that is for them, and, and maybe working collaboratively to help, you know, each of them reach that, you know. I love things with layers, just gonna say the layers of professional development. 
Okay, cool kids, here's the second of your two key words. The second word is leadership. L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P. We should try to engage in compassionate leadership. I mean, that's really nicely put, Shanna, actually. You know, and I think involving people in those conversations, I think, I really do, I think, is key in kind of, we, we, we talk about the health and social care staff in crisis over here in the UK. You know, we have a big problem. Um, we need some different approaches to, to kind of fix that. And I think uh, we're not going to do it about engaging that workforce in a much more meaningful way. And, um, you know, um, as well as people getting paid better, um, I think that one of the m- most important things we can do is really involve them in, in those decisions around their kind of future opportunities and, and their fu- future satisfaction with, um, with their kind of work. So, um, yeah, I really like the way that you pitched that. That's beautiful. I mean, you've got professional development at, you know, the individual level, um, yourself, a supervisee, a team member. And then you have a little bit up of like the team itself and what that development is going to look like. And then you as their supervisor manager relationship, then you take it one step up from there and, you know, it just builds. And then it's, yeah, what's the professional development of our company? Like, I think it's a beautiful question. And so, yeah, really, um, I think that's it. I'm going to end it on that note. Um, But before we go, um, Patty and Joe, if you wouldn't mind telling the world again where they can find you online. So if you've, you know, your social media, you know, y'all's, if you've got your website for PBS Matters and everything, where can we find you? We are pbsmatters.wordpress.com. Well done. (laughs) Hey. And um, yeah, you can find us on pretty much any uh, podcast platform, Spotify, uh, iTunes, any of those kind of places. And yeah, it is PBS Matters. Excellent. And we will have all of the links for that on the site as well. Um, So yeah, thank you guys. I am so glad to see your faces and hear your voices again. It's been a while. Um, CPP wrote again, finally. We still minus one, but that's because she's, you know, traveling and she's doing cooler things than we are. That's fine. (laughs) Um, So, but anyways, thank you guys so much for joining us again today Um, and take care and we'll see you later. Great to be back. Take care, folks. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this adventure of the Atypical Behavior Analyst. Check out the website atypicalba.com for more episodes, references, and to purchase CEUs. To stay up to date, like and follow us on social media. Just search Atypical Behavior Analyst. If you like the show, please rate and leave us a review. And if you want to support the show but don't need CEUs, you can help by clicking the Buy Us a Coffee link in the show notes. So until next time, listeners, grab your towel, keep exploring, and we'll see you in the fringes. Well, hello again, listener. We're so glad that you stuck around. As promised, here's a clip from episode 30, Removing the Mask Hiding Trauma, Discovering and Altering the Functions of Challenging Behavior with Dr. Jeannie Golden. Enjoy, and we'll see you in the fringes. So, for example, even if I wasn't smiling, there were times when my daughter would say to me, Mom, why aren't you smiling? Well, I think that that might have been an SD, an event that triggered a feeling. And then the establishing operation is that feeling of discomfort that makes the reinforcer more salient. In other words, getting rid of this feeling is more reinforcing because it was the event that triggered it was so um, aversive. So it becomes negatively reinforcing to block the feeling and make the negative feelings go away.